This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Real EFL Podcast, the podcast solely dedicated to teams in the English Football League. We have another guest episode for you all today. It's somebody we had on very, very recently and you all absolutely loved the episode. So we kindly asked her to join us once more and we're incredibly grateful to have her back on to discuss all the biggest and latest news across the Championship, League One and League Two. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. And if you do, please Leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice and a nice review, too, if you're feeling dangerous. Nevertheless, you're not here for me. You are here for The Athletic's wonderful EFL writer and expert, Nancy Froston. Nancy, how have you been? Not bad, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Busy, busy. Some snow up here, so, you know. (laughs) That was my next question. Do you have snow? Because so many people I know that are in England at the moment have been showing me pictures of their back garden and it's like full of snow. We've had nothing here. Nothing. Oh. It's I, I, and I love snow. I'm like a little kid. I absolutely love the snow. Uh, yeah, we've had nothing. So it's been snowing up there, has it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in Derbyshire, and we had I don't know. I think they measured it in inches on the BBC, but I reckon like six centimeters, something like that. So it was like a good, wow. yeah, a good chunk. So you know, Sunday league football was cancelled yeah. over the weekend, and probably I mean most other things I think were cancelled. Yeah, well, I mean, so. I, I saw I saw I saw Germany. I mean. Uh, the Allianz Arena, Bayern Munich, the game was cancelled against Union Berlin and it was like the snow was coming up to the goalposts. It was outrageous. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, but we, we've had nothing here about rain and it's it's just cold, <laughs> but sad. I, I like the snow, even though some people don't. But anyway, uh, what have you been up since we last spoke? Uh, some fun stuff. I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think how, how long ago it was, but um, I've been up to Carlisle. I spent the day with Nick Anderson. I don't know if I'd done that when I... When you were actually pain. going to Brunton Park. Last I was time. going. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. So that was great. It was really good to see him. He was in uh, good form. Really enjoyed my first trip to Brunton Park. So that was really good. Um, and then, yeah, a few other bits and bobs. Um, interviewed Ali Al-Hamadi at uh, Wimbledon. Um, written about, oh, I've got something coming out this week about Notts County and Corners. So that's good fun. Oh, wow. Um you saw the the viral Luke, yeah Luke I saw Williams. Luke Williams yeah so good. yeah yeah so we've taken a bit of a deep dive to see if he was right about what he was talking yeah. about which you know feels a bit harsh to criticize him because he, he speaks really well and he comes across well but um the 
the data is actually quite interesting on, yeah. on on the corners and why it's worth doing them if you believe in them and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. The interview was amazing. I loved his interview. And also just you said there about Ali Al-Hamadi, the, that article is actually excellent. We'll get onto that shortly, but I, I actually didn't realise how fascinating his story was. Really, really interesting. And he's doing great this season, and I'm sure we'll, we will touch on that in the, in the podcast and what you know the future holds for him. But a good place to start is, I believe, West Bromwich Albion. They are on some, some decent form at the moment. I mean, they're sitting inside the playoffs, which is, is wonderful because they had a bit of an inconsistent start to the season but the biggest issues probably come off the field because I mean I know they recently just took out another loan from from MSD Holdings of course Michael Dell's investment firm they also took out a loan I think it was a 20 million loan last December from MSD Holdings as well there was a report over the last week I think it was from the I think it might have been John Percy in the Telegraph he said that a fire sale could happen in January. Now that was probably a risk anyway, because there is a severe amount of debt. That this is the issue, of course. There was an article a couple of months back where I think maybe the owner was looking for something in the region of of fifty million, which I always believe made made the the numbers that Reading's owner was looking for laughable, considering Reading are mm. you know down there in the in League One, West Brom are fighting for the Premier League. But I mean. Do you think there is a possibility that a fire sale could happen if a takeover doesn't happen? Or has this new loan from MSD Holdings kind of helped them a, a smidge? Yeah, it's a tricky one because you see this when teams are in a bit of a limbo of clearly publicly being up for sale yeah. um, and whether anything's actually close because either you you sell a load of players in January in the hope of clearing some debt and that might make you more appealing to a certain type of um, investor or actually by keeping hold of everyone and hopefully maintaining the good league form, um, you know, you kind of become a, a, an appealing prospect mm. in a different way if you're heading towards a playoff campaign and, you know, someone might be able to get a cheaper price and then all of a sudden they've got Premier League money if the playoffs yes. go well or whatever. Um, I think this, looking at kind of the, the players that West Brom have got, I mean, I suppose you've got to look at who might be buying them and who might be after them. Um, and th- to be honest with you, I think, you know, unless there's a couple of players that are really interesting in terms of the profile to a Premier League club, above them in the champ in the championships or the top end championship clubs mm. where there is a bit more money, kind of feel like they're all quite settled in terms of squad or they'll be, I don't know, shopping overseas or that sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to see if anything happens. Um, personally, I think if they've got that loan, it's sensible to kind of back. Uh, back the manager especially given how well he did with Huddersfield Mm. um, and kind of what they're building there Um, but it just depends on again that tricky thing of owners maybe wanting as much if not more than what they've put in which in football is really hard to actually recoup and that's when you you have problems with you know being up for sale and it taking ages for anything to actually happen. I always think about this some people go into football to make money and I just can't help but feel there is especially in English football there is not a worse sport you could go into to make money because so few actually genuinely make money and so few throw money at the the great dream of making it to the Premier League and you get those parachute payments even if you go down. But, I mean, like, they, they throw money at it. Derby County are a great example on the Mel Morris, of course. Mm-hmm. They throw money at something at the dream and then when it goes west, they're in a lot of debt. And West Brom are in a lot of debt. I know that hasn't really anything to do with the actual football side. It was more so that his business is elsewhere started to kind of collapse a little and he needed to to alleviate their debt 
But do you think this loan will be used to almost prevent a fire sale, or do you think it will be used for for Carlos Corberan to add to his squad to try and push for promotion to the Premier League? Because if they do get promoted, even if it's through the playoffs, that money is fierce. Yeah, it's hard. It's always interesting to see kind of how close to the edge certain teams are as well in terms of uh, why they need these loans and yeah. kind of um, where they're choosing to maybe make that gamble or especially with the interest rates that some of the the big sort of um, loan mm. um, companies have because MSD have lent to Southampton, I think, as well. There's several clubs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it'll be... I can't see them spending big in January. Um just because I don't know, I don't know if it's something they've really done over mm. the past kind of year or two. Um, it feels like you know fans are obviously very justifiably frustrated with the lack of ability to bounce back because obviously yeah. we maybe we're in that group of clubs which have yo-yoed a bit and that becomes a bit of a joke. But actually, as soon as you're not challenging at the right end of the table, it becomes a big frustration for fans. So mm. um, yeah, if it was me, I think. It would be a sensible thing for that to be a preventative measure to keep hold of your players, make yourself appealing uh, to an investor. But um, taking that gamble of trying to reach the Premier League, splashing a bit more money on a particular signing is very easy. And so many clubs have fallen into that trap that, um, yeah, (laughs) you've got to be quite strong willed in your belief system to kind of not be tempted to put a bit more money down and and get that player that can change everything. Mm. And I know. This person may not be everyone's cup of tea, but Rafael Benitez, when he was at Liverpool, it's weird that I'm throwing Rafael Benitez into an EFL podcast, but he said before that when he was with Liverpool under the Gillette and Hicks ownership, which is, of course, as many, if if there's any Liverpool fans listening to the podcast will know, was a bit of a a, a turbulent time for the club because of the, the lack of investment, I suppose, in the team. But he said that when he was at Liverpool, they were given... I mean, I think it was the year after they challenged for the league title that summer. He was given something like 18 million, which is mm-hmm. seems bizarre because you're up against a Manchester United juggernaut who are winning every league title. But he said, the problem is you must, to make money, you must sell. But you can't sell the bad players. And I know it's it's such a, a silly point, but it is true. You can't sell the bad players because no one will buy them. You have to sell the Javi Alonso's, the Javier Mascarano's, these types of, the Fernando Torres, these types of players. With West Brom, who do you think could be in your opinion, up for sale, the most valuable in that squad? Because I know I've read this past week that maybe Grady uh, Diangana could be up for sale. I think during the summer it was reported West Brom wanted something in the region of 7 million. So, of course, that's already you know huge to go towards the debt if it has to be repaid. Do you think uh, Tom Fellows is another, I believe, that was wanted by Leicester City and Southampton? His contract's up at the end of the season. They might look to get something for him in January. Who else do you think could potentially be sold because you're not going to sell Kyle Bartley are you like respectfully to him he's a great player but yeah. he's you know on the wrong side of 30 yeah yeah exactly and you kind of look at the, the team and maybe it's really easy to look at who's scoring the goals but I mean you know everyone wants a striker in January um, or, a, or a creative player in January and obviously yeah. John Swift's been well thought of for years but again I have a feeling he'll be in that older age mm-hmm. bracket so you know is anyone really going to slap down a big amount of money for him um, yeah great Dean Garner I mean, Brandon Thomas Sante has not been there for that long. But again, this trend towards kind of, if you're going to spend money, a lot of teams are only really wanting to spend on mm-hmm. the younger age profile where they might see a return if 
if they hit their kind of expected yeah. peak or whatever in in a few years i do wonder if he's someone that um i'm not talking like a top end premier league team but you know luton or burnley or someone they might be looking but that's just me guessing yeah. um but you know if you need need goals and there's a player that's kind of ticking a lot of the metrics that these teams look at um it could be interesting um but yeah it's uh, it is tricky in terms of the the balance of who to let go whether you can reinvest that mm. and get the immediate kind of replacement. Well, speaking of goals, at the stadium stadium of light, there's very few up front. Jack Clark has scored 10 this season. I believe Sunderland, I actually did the maths earlier, Sunderland have scored 29 goals in the championship. Jack Clark has 10, which is about 34% of their total goals. Between their four centre-forwards, they have zero goals in the championship, which is, and I, I, I'm fully aware, for anyone listening, that they are incredibly young the likes of Mason Borstow on loan, they're very young centre-forwards. And some of them are completely inexperienced. Nazari Russell, he was no experience in English football, came over, zero goals. I, it's it's quite telling when you watch them, though, because if Jack Clark was sold in January, per se, because I know some clubs in the Premier League were interested, but only for one, I think, put like three or four bids in, in in the summer to get them and they failed. If he was to leave or get injured... You have zero, like Sunderland have zero goals in that squad, but Tony Mowbray came out today in his, I think it was, or, or, or it may have been yesterday in an interview where he said that there's been no meeting with the board about recruitment in January. He also said that he feels, which I think is quite telling, he said he feels the club will tell him no, which was a weird comment to make, which made me think they've already told him no. But again, that's just me guessing. Do you think there's? Any chance? I mean, they kind of need a centre forward. Do you think there's any chance they can dip into the market in January for a centre forward? Yeah, it's one of those things where those comments. You wonder if he said it to crank a bit of pressure mm. on the board, <laughs> you know, because the fans will want, yeah. will want a striker. You know, um, replacing Ross Stewart's obviously maybe proving a bit more difficult than they than they realised. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he's had much game time at all at Southampton with injury and and other reasons, but um, I don't see how it's sustainable for them currently to not have that source of goals beyond Jack Clark. And we've been having a discussion this week at The Athletic about um, a few of us about, you know, who's the best player in the championship right now. And Jack Clark's in that discussion, obviously, because he's really doing it. Um, And there's something to be said for a player doing so well in a team that broadly isn't playing great. Um, But yeah, you do kind of wonder, one, again, the type of player they're going for. They have been going a lot younger, um, and there is that definite different model to the Sunderland of the championship before they got relegated to League One and, and you know, everything maybe that, that happened before. Um but yeah, I do wonder if if they'll if they'll be able to get you know, because everyone wants a striker, if they'll realistically have the right money available to get get the player they they want. And and they're not unique in that. It's it's a, a championship wide problem from probably fifth to twelfth mm. you're either trying to hold on desperately to a uh playoff pace or you're trying to sneak in and and kind of um try and get out of it. But they're an interesting club in that they're kind of in a group where um I'd say that they're always going to have it against them this season to try and get in the playoffs just because of the strength of some of those teams that have come down out of the Premier League um or some of those teams where they've kind of built a good base over the last sort of 18 months under a particular manager 
to like Ipswich. Um, obviously, they're doing a lot better than anyone expected. But for, for clubs, again, maybe West Brom included in that, Sunderland, Norwich, those teams where you, you would always fancy them for a, a playoff shout. Mm. Um, I think the championship is quite polarised this season and it's quite easy for them to maybe fall between the cracks and end up finishing mid-table even if um even if they're having a good season so if they're kind of you know yeah rumbling along at a steady pace then it makes it even harder again do you actually that's a really good point because it's just looking at the table it almost seems like especially the top four but maybe West Brom with a push are sort of just galloping away in their own little race I mean you they're, they're I, I understand there's only a couple of points between Hull City and sixth and and Leeds and Southampton, but especially Leeds are kind of breaking away from Hull City. You know, the, the gap might be, I think, five to seven points, something like that. Are you worried about a club like Southampton going big in the transfer market? Because again, you know, a club like Southampton have the parachute payments almost fall back on a little bit. They have that added finance. Sunderland haven't. So going big in, in January could be a massive mistake when, there may be only one kind of place available that nine, eight teams are fighting vying for by the end of the, the season. Yeah, it's interesting because I think someone I saw on Twitter had done a forecast and the top four teams should be on for at least 90 points based on their current form and the top two over 100. So they'd ba- break the uh, the record for most points in a wow. season if they carry on as they are. Yeah. Um, for a team like Southampton, I, I don't worry too much um, because of the income they had in the summer from sales. So I think as well as the parachute payments, they've kind of got that kitty to Mm -hmm. dip into, not to go mad. um, But, you know, there's that option there um, if they need it. But things seem to have come together in the last kind of uh, five or six weeks um, since a little blip in, I think it was September. Yeah, Um, that's four on the bounce in September and they conceded like 5-0, 4-1. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, but you know they sort of got over that and mm. look fairly steady now. But but yeah, that gap it it's interesting because you know it's okay finishing third and fourth and being on ninety seven or a hundred points, but actually it doesn't count for a lot when you're in a a two legged playoff semi final and then a playoff final. You know you could you could have someone sneaking in sixth and and end up going up. So um, I think that'll be the target for a lot of teams, fifth and sixth, uh, and. It will be hard to call at this stage, depending on managerial seconds, January activity, um, big injuries, anything like that. Yeah. I, I think it's also inter- interesting as well that three of the top four were relegated from the Premier League. And it's not as if they were, like, they they came up and then bounced straight back down. So Hampton were in the Premier League for 10 years. Leicester City were in the Premier League for almost 10 years. Even Leeds had three seasons in the Premier League where you're consistently getting money from staying in the league. And they're make up three of the top four. Ipswich Town are clearly the outlier. They've come up and just done better than I think anyone could have anticipated. But I also think it's a little worrying for the league because, like, is it going to be that easy going forward now that the money in the Premier League is so colossal that teams will just continue continue to yo-yo? Although I know in recent seasons, the likes of, of Norwich City and, and West Brom are probably telling that maybe that won't be the case. It could just be the fact that the teams who got relegated last season were so strong. But again, that's just, it's an interesting point to make. But just finally with Sunderland, Tony Mowbray was almost a, 
product of his own success in a way at Blackburn Rovers, and they haven't really fared much better since he left. All you know, if I'm being realistic, I think they probably play better football, maybe, if, but results wise and performance wise, it's not really a, a mega difference. Do you think the same is kind of happening here at Sunderland, where it's almost because they did so well last season? you know, unprecedented as well. They did so well again this season. They're fighting for a championship playoff place that now when they lose to Plymouth and they lose to Huddersfield Town and they draw to Millwall, that pressure is really starting to mount and the board might start looking at other managers going, well, he can take us to the next level. Yeah, and I think they've shown before, you know, when they... um set Lee Johnson or, or whatever the there was probably a different phrasing, you know, left by mutual <laughs> agreement or whatever. But um I think that there's definitely the kind of uh, potential there for them to not be sort of sentimental mm. about um when to when to part with the manager. Um the next two games are massive. West Brom and Leeds. It's a really tough pair of games to to be going into with kind of discussion about your future or what's possible, mm. what's you know achievable under a particular manager but it does feel like maybe things are kind of coming to a natural head um Mm. and yeah unless they suddenly put a massive run of games together the fact that they're not really beating some of the teams struggling sides or teams that are you know below and around them is probably a bit of a worry and and, you know the the They'll be looking at that. Every every board is kind of already mm. looking at who their next manager might be. But um, yeah, results and giving someone enough time before January uh, can can really be a, a big factor. So yeah, I think it could be that. I think it's West Brom first. Um, could be the you know the result yeah. that makes or breaks whether he stays. Yeah, and onto another manager who is under pressure. That is David Wagner at Norwich City. There was rumours after Norwich lost at home to Blackburn Rovers. They lost 3-1. The scoreline probably flattered them, all things considered. There was rumours that that was going to be his last... Or sorry, the, the game after was going to be his last game in charge, which was right before the international break, and that was against Cardiff City. They won that game. And then they beat Queen's Park Rangers, but then they lost again at the weekend. But then they 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 picked up a huge win at... Or sorry, they lost in midweek, but then they picked up a huge win against Bristol City in the last minute when it had him eat a goal. Do you think that the pressure, I, I know the pressure probably has ease on David Wagner. Do you think he'll be given till the end of the season, even if they don't finish in the playoff places? Because I know they had the AGM actually mid last week and Delia Smith, of course, and the other shareholders, they said that actually I, I, the, the one of the shareholders, Mark Atanasio, I, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. He's American, but he said he couldn't believe how, in, he said it's uniquely British, I believe, is the word he used, that managers just get sacked when there's poor performances rather than, you know, it being the fault of like the sporting director, which I thought was an interesting quote because Ben Napper, of course, has just taken over from, literally just took over, I think, just before the international break. So do you think that Wagner will be given to the end of the season, even if they don't make the playoffs? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not a happy camp at all, by the sounds of it, as in just the club as a whole. Yeah. I don't know about specifics about players. But, um, you know, given, again, that that profile that the club's had, talked about a bit earlier, um, I I feel like there's a world in which he stays to the end of the season just because of the transition from Stuart Webber. And, um, you know, clearly it feels like maybe there's a bigger kind of cultural change going on at the club. And I don't know if 
it's been a bit of a bruising time mm. to to work through for them but um but yeah i i think you know again it's that thing of when the parachute payments end how does a club find the smart way of being able to compete for you know promotion um and for norwich that they're never sort of that far off it um they obviously did very well for a long time to kind of find a way around uh getting out of the championship very easily and then you know dealing with the challenge of um of the premier league but they've got some good players there and i i feel like they'll probably give wagner time um but yeah i don't you know i don't see them being around the playoffs this season yeah. um I think it's probably too much. So it depends how long term they're willing to look. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, I mean, Daniel Farker finished fourteenth in his fourth season. I know people point to the fact that this is Wagner's technically second season, but it's his first full season in charge of Norwich City. When Farker was in charge, they finished fourteenth. I believe they're now fourteenth or maybe thirteenth after Saturday's win. So I don't know. I, I I don't think he's doing too badly of a job. But they're only a couple of points off the playoffs. And again, like I think it was was it. 27, was it 2018, 19, 2017, 18, sorry, Fulham were way down the table under Slavita Jokanovic and then they managed to make that promote. It's second half of the season, they won nearly every game and they managed to get promoted. So I think just give them a bit more time and hopefully you can get some signs in, in January. That's my own opinion, of course. And also, mm. one of my favourite stories of the, or just EFL so far, has been that Stuart Weber wants to go and, and hike Mount Everest or something he doesn't he, he doesn't um, want to yeah he said he doesn't want to go into another job straight away because he wants to to like climb Everest and all these mountains and I thought okay I thought that was quite, <laughs> a strange uh, interesting yeah, yeah strange. and also guaranteed guaranteed now by the way that I've said oh I don't see Norwich being in the playoffs they'll get there so <laughs> <laughs> I'm already yeah. <laughs> caveating that bold yeah. prediction yeah. like they'll get there but yeah fair enough he's earned some time off let him climb the mountains. Yeah, let him. Cl- I I just couldn't think of anything. I'd I'd least no. I'd less rather My do my feet up on a sunbed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> climb Mount Everest when I'm when I'm just taking a sabbatical. But anyway, on to Rotherham United, and they are manager list at the moment. Wayne Carlisle, I believe, unless actually they appointed someone while we've been on this podcast. I don't believe they have though. Mm-hmm. Wayne Carlisle has taken the charge of the team in the interim, but he came out after the game on Saturday, which they drew. Nil all against Birmingham City after Wayne Rooney's uh, peculiar comments, which I've, uh, you know I'm sure people who are listening will have heard what he said. But anyway, he said that an announcement will be made and a new manager within 48 to 72 hours. 48 hours has passed, or coming up to 48 hours, but it's that when when we're recording, maybe tonight or tomorrow it will be announced. Who are the the, the leading candidates for the job at the moment? There's been some uh, some interesting talk, really, because it's it's not. Um, how do I put this in a good way? I, I guess it's not one of those jobs that necessarily has loads of people queuing up for it at any given time, and they're obviously in a, in a difficult spot. Um, I saw some talk about Nathan Jones. Um, some reports saying he's been in discussions with the club, and then other reports saying he's nowhere near, which is always good fun. Um, Steve Evans, who's obviously been at the club before, I'm not sure how popular that would be based on. Um, you know, some Rotherham fans that I know. I, I, well, he went to Leeds, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously it's going well for him at Stevenage, but, um, you know, he brings a certain type of football and maybe um, he's a certain character that not everyone <laughs> likes. You know, he's a bit of a Marmite figure. Um, I think I saw Liam Richardson linked as well, um, who obviously 
did wonders at, at Wigan. Um, and mm. I think he's a great manager. It just, I don't know, Wigan have been <laughs> in a tricky spot for a while when they let him go not long after I think he signed a new contract yeah. and all sorts. So um, I'd be intrigued to know which, if it's any of those three or if it's a left field uh, kind of appointment. But it feels like it's taken quite a while. Like um, Matt Taylor's gone on holiday, I think, after being sacked, got another job. And, you know, not quite played his first game, but he, you know, he's managed to get, get a completely different move in the amount of time it's taken um, Rotherham to find the right person, hopefully mm. to, uh, to keep them up. But it's, it's a difficult job because staying up is always the first aim. Um, but obviously they've spent a fair bit of money in, in their terms um, this year. So the expectation to stay up is obviously, and the pressure's a little higher. I find it bizarre that they've gone so long now without appointing commander, although Bristol Rovers did as well, I suppose. Now they have Matt Taylor, but they at least had Andy Mangan in charge and he was doing reasonably well, I, I suppose, before they appointed someone. So maybe there wasn't a, a rush. I think Wayne Carlisle's done kind of okay. I mean, they got a draw at the weekend at home, but a struggle in Birmingham City, you would, would hope you could pick up three points. I've also seen Gary Rowett link to the job. Do you think there's any truth in that or is that because I just feel like going from almost getting the playoffs at Millwall to probably getting relegated to League One isn't very appealing. Yeah, it depends kind of um, how how much there's that itch for a manager to get back into into football quickly because, you know, you see other managers like, I think there was some discussion about the Cowleys as well um, and, you know, whether they're willing to wait for a while for the right project yeah. or whether they just want to work again and and you know they've backed themselves to kind of make it work wherever. Um, I'm not sure that I, I would be surprised if Gary wrote to take the job. Um, I probably see him at a club with maybe more of a mid-table budget, and you know, Rotherham are, are not anywhere near that, yeah. and that's that's fine because they always overachieve in my in my book for for the money they have. So, um, yeah. I'd be surprised, but I'd be really intrigued if it does happen. Um, it's just, yeah, there's a battle on and it's going to take someone with kind of a lot of confidence or big aspirations to kind of be able to lift the team. Because I don't think Matt Taylor had done a bad job. You know, it's just, again, with the money that was spent, there was maybe that added pressure that, that hasn't mm. been there in previous seasons when they've um, when they've not been able to stay up. Um, but in the past, Paul Warren got time and that would have made it an appealing prospect for a, a manager coming in, yeah. whereas they've not really given Matt Taylor much time. So that maybe changes things if you're looking mm. at it as someone who wants to get back into management, if it's going to be like you know a six-month gig, is it worth it? I'm expecting Neil Warnock. I, I, I really am. I'm expecting <laughs> the announcement to come out in the next 24 hours and it will be Neil Warnock. So if this podcast <laughs> isn't out by then and... It's just a left field show is Neil Warnock and I've got that right. I'm, I'm genuinely going to be amazed. But anyway, <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. 
And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bag's a last-minute winner, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Onto another side just in the EFL, but they're in League One, sorry, that are struggling and the manager might be under pressure again. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you could tell us more about that. It's Exeter City and Gary Caldwell. They were, up until I believe the start of September or the September international break, they were in the top two. I think they might have been top of the league at one mm. point or else they were at least second. Because I know I remember early in the season, the top two were Port Vale and Exeter City, who are both like fighting relegation now. But I look at the teams around Exeter City, they are two points from safety or two points from the relegation zone now. Cheltenham Town changed the manager and it's it, it has worked really well. They've been brilliant under Daryl Clark. Fleetwood Town changed the manager. They brought Lee Johnson in after sacking uh, Scott Brown. It's it's worked reasonably well. Reading have started to pick up some points recent times. Carlisle are kind of yo-yoing in and out of the relegation zone at the moment. Exeter are just free falling. Do you think there's a? Do you think he's under massive pressure at the moment, or have you have you heard anything? Maybe he's he's you know the club are backing him, or they're, or they're looking to make a change. It's interesting because Exeter a club that. I think it's fair to say historically haven't sacked managers, you know, um, or at least since uh, they kind of came under the fan ownership type model. Um, so this is a test uh, and a test of their resolve and, and kind of their their model, I suppose, because mm. they, they recruit so well and they've appointed managers so well. And to see them at the top of the table was great and uh, at the start of the season and and kind of like wasn't a surprise because I always feel like they're quite a smart club in terms of what they're doing but you can't really argue with that it has been free fall like I think they've lost is it 10 or oh, not lost 10 without a win yeah um in the league something like that I think the last you know, one was it was like the 16th of September or something the same as yeah. Port Vale like it's mad and the goals the goals aren't there I think four yeah. goals in in those in that time, um, and I think Gary Caldwell said it's kind of a psychological thing. And at a certain point, you think, well, okay, that, that's probably coming under your, you know, under his mm. remit. And I'm sure he's doing everything he can. But um, I don't, I don't know if I, I've not genuinely not heard or seen a lot of talk about them looking like they'll sack him, yeah. um, except from people going, why haven't they done anything yet? <laughs> so I don't know. Um, they might just be biding their time to see if like a win triggers something. Um, but the problem with League One is you can't really just be hanging around in that area because there's four that go down. You can really easily get sucked in by accident, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's just, um, it took extra a long time to get out of League Two and they they kept being, you know, having that brush with promotion and yeah. getting in the playoffs. And um, it feels like they've earned their, and their spot and a, a good crack at, you know, more than, I think this is their second season up now. Yeah. Um, you know, more time than that. But perhaps they're in the same 
predicament as some of the other clubs like Cheltenham where they can do two in League One, two seasons in League One, but they can never quite make a third stick. Mm. Um so or more than three. So um I'll be interested to see if he makes it <laughs> much longer because uh yeah, ten games is it's a lot of points. Yeah. But even like Cambridge United there, they sacked Mark Bonner. They're yeah. at the same, a team that were doing, re- I, I actually think they might be on top of the league at one stage, but mm. they, early into the season, but they were in free fall again, but they changed the manager and I actually quite like Mark Bonner. I was disappointed to see him get sacked, but I mean, ultimately yeah. when you're in free fall and it doesn't look like anything's changing, something has to stop. And unfortunately, you know, in modern football or just football forever, the book stopped with the manager and it's, it's sad to see a manager get sacked, but there's also a massive risk that Exeter City fall into the relegation zone within the next week, which is mm. quite scary because I think they have a, a better squad than some of the teams that are in that relegation zone, and yet they're massively, massively underperforming. And the likes of Cheltenham Town are picking up points on Fleetwood Town. Cheltenham Town are on an unbelievable run of form, and I would imagine. They'll, and even if Carlisle get a win, they'll be out of relegation zone. Exeter just losing, losing, losing. The same with Port Vale. And again, I've interviewed interviewed Andy Crosby recently. He was a really nice guy, but it comes a point where clubs are going to want to end the rot, you know, and it doesn't, unfortunately for Exeter City, I keep looking to, you know, hoping it will end eventually, but it just, it doesn't seem to be. Up the other end of the table, though, we have a team who are in unbelievable form, and that is Peterborough United under Darren Ferguson. Do you think they look better than last season? I, you know, I, I feel like on this podcast all the time I bring up what happened, and I, I, I really don't mean to. But I'm, I'm, I'm. I'll just say the game. Do you think they, they are a completely different side now to the team that lost the game? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And in terms of like having a bit of a hangover from that, or how you bounce back from that, um, I think the league looks a lot more favourable for them in the and the way that they're playing mm. this season. Um, you know, there were just so many big hitters last year that for them to have kept the pace like that it really was a good appointment. Um, and, that, you know, their managerial situation's interesting that they seem to flip-flop between <laughs> Grant McCann and, uh, and Darren Ferguson. But, look, you know, they're, they're playing some good stuff. They're, they're in a good run, of, um, good run of form. And there's some teams, you know, Derby haven't really been stellar, kind of blown hot and cold in terms of... Mm-hmm. How how well they've been playing and, and Pompey had a bit of had a bit of a blip and um with Bolton going top and various things. So it's there for the taking for a, a club like Peterborough where they've got some really good players, um, got an experienced manager, and I think now they've probably got the distance from what happened last season to fully put that to bed and and probably, you know, aim for more than mm. a playoff battle again. Um so yeah, I, I I think they they've got the potential to do better than last season. Whether that answers if they're a better side, I don't know. But <laughs> I let well, the, Pompe- uh, the uh, Peter fans, sorry, yeah, uh, answer that. It is quite interesting because when they lost to Mansfield Town, I want to say in the EFL Cup, I think it was on penalties. Darren Ferguson had a bit of a, I don't want to say a meltdown. It was a bit of a rant after the game, saying I should have sold a lot of them, which is always ideal. It's always a, a wonderful comment to make about your players but to be fair to him they did bounce back <laughs> the form since then has been unbelievable and you know he he brought up that game where he was saying that you know the same players like a pitch late and this and that but since then they they've bounced back so credit to him but one of those players is Kwame Poku who has been just unbelievable this season 
probably one of the most talented players in in League One at the moment. He has been linked away this January, though, because I'd imagine the problem is when you're aside in League One, if if a player's doing incredibly well, there's a chance he leaves because clubs will come in for him. Do you think there is a chance that Kwame Paku leaves? Because a, a number of clubs have been linked with Sunderland for one. There's been a whole host of others. Do you think there's a chance he, he can leave? Uh, I, I think with a club like Peterborough, there's always a chance, but it comes with the caveat of it having to be at the right price um, for Darren McAnthony. And mm. um, I think we've we've probably seen over the years, there are times where a club will just come in and they'll put that offer on the table, like Brentford with Ivan Tony, And there are other times where you know, a club won't pay maybe what he wants um, to get that return. And and they've historically had quite good recruitment in that sense. And they've been able to make a fair amount of profit off players. Mm. Um, It's been a few years though, really. I think maybe Tony was the last kind of big, big money um, sale that they had. I'm trying to think now, racking my brains. But Well, I I know there was like Ronnie Edwards they wanted. Yeah, they wanted four million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and, and he is a great player, but I don't know. I don't know that there are, in kind of a post-COVID market, I don't mm. know that there are loads of teams that will be able to put that sort of money down. Um, but the amount of clubs that <laughs> Puffy's being linked with, um, it could be, could be, you know, all, all talk or, um, you know, people but- wanting to be seen to be linked or, or whatever. Um, but you can't really argue with the facts. I think it's just Jordan Rhodes and Devante Cole that have had more goal tr- goal uh, contributions um and and you know he's only 22 so again <laughs> if we're talking in that kind of young potential for a, a bigger move bracket um and he's yeah. a Ghanaian international which is like for a club in league one for to have a player who you know is an international for a country that were at the world cup i think is quite astonishing yeah that's the thing it's really interesting um especially heading into major tournaments to see just how many players are spread across the EFL. Obviously, a lot of them might be Scotland, uh, mm. Wales, or um, probably like Ireland or Northern Ireland International. Oh, definitely, definitely the Republic but, of Ireland. So many. Yeah. <laughs> so like when, uh, you know, if any of those teams tend to qualify like um, for the Euros or, or the World Cup, um, I normally do like a little EFL roundup and it'll be fascinating. Wales is always the best one for like a League Two player getting called yeah. up, um, which is great. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, you're definitely seeing that spread a lot more, especially for, for players who, um, you know, that they're, they're eligible for more than one nation and they're thinking, well, why, why wouldn't I go and play international football for, you know, a country that that's, that's their heritage um, for that chance to to play international football it's great to see so um but yeah Ghana are a really prominent nation and um it's great to see that that Peter can kind of one att- well, attract and develop that sort of player I know he signed from Colchester and they've got a, an incredible academy system there and and the type of players they produce but um but for him to just yeah hit the ground running this season is uh makes it a lot of fun to to watch yeah and just for the listeners who didn't know, Chris Hewton's actually a manager of Ghana. So he'd be, of course, keeping a big eye on, on, on football in the EFL and in England in general. Speaking about a player that would maybe choose a country of their, their heritage as, as opposed to trying to play for England, as so many do, you wrote a wonderful piece in the last week on Ali Al Alhamidi from AFC Wimbledon, who chose Iraq over England. And he said, for that for that reason, why wouldn't I choose my my heritage. Talk to me about that interview, if you don't mind, because it was it's a great article for those listening. Please read it on The Athletic. 
but but talk to me about what he's like because it was a his story is amazing yeah it's incredible really and um he's got such a good like world view i think because of it um but in short he, he was born in iraq um but his dad, um, I think his dad was a lawyer and he did a peaceful protest against Saddam Hussein and he got um, imprisoned for that. And so him and his family kind of moved to the UK, to Liverpool, um, pretty much as asylum seekers. Um, mm. And so, you know, he's grown up in this country since the age of one. But um, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that kind of yearning or that that call that he always has for Iraq. Um, so he sort of explained to me that, um, he did have some youth international call-ups for Iraq, but maybe he never took them massively seriously because mm-hmm. when you live in England, it doesn't matter maybe how strong you feel your for your heritage or whatever. There's always that that feeling of wanting to play for England was the way that he described it. But actually, um, he said he doesn't really feel like he's at home until he goes back to Iraq with the national team and that will always be home and it just feels like he's living in the UK. Um, it's kind of that sort of, yeah, that pull Um which is really interesting to me because I haven't got that, you know, because I'm I'm not eligible for any other country and <laughs> grew up in England. But um, it was really interesting to hear him describe it in that in that way. So yeah, he's got an amazing story. Moved around a fair bit in terms of clubs. Um, was at Swansea, and I think he either turned down or kind of walked away from a pro deal there to go and play football, um, more regular football at at Wickham. Um, yeah. Had a loan spell with Bromley. So for him now to beat Wimbledon, he really he said he really feels at home. It feels like he's got the backing of the manager. It's really helped his confidence. And he's already having the best season of his career. Yeah. Um, and it, I think he's, you know, loving playing for Iraq. He had his, I think it was his first game in Iraq was in the last um, international break. And he just said it's, the appetite for football there is is crazy. He got stopped whilst we, he was on the phone to me. Um, he, was, <laughs> he was in London and he got stopped by this guy who was an Iraq fan. He wasn't a Wimbledon fan. Um, and he said it happens quite a lot, actually, um, or from people that kind of are from around yeah. that part of the world, just because um, the profile of the Iraq national team is probably a lot bigger than, you know, we would realise in this country because we're a bit yeah. blinkered to English football. <laughs> but yeah, he's a really interesting guy. I love the, the the part where he said, you know, he respectfully to Wimbledon, but he goes and plays for Iraq and he's playing in front of 65 odd thousand people, which is just unbelievable for you know again respectfully for a footballer in in league two to go and play then in front of sixty five thousand people regularly when actually he said himself in his own words he played in the cup against Chelsea and the atmosphere was he didn't say the atmosphere was poor he just said it was much better when he played for Iraq which is understandable because uh, I don't know if people have heard the atmosphere at Sanford Bridge before but anyway that's that's my own opinion (laughs) that's my own opinion um yeah do you think there's a chance that he could leave in January I know I know you just did the interview I don't want to put you on the spot but he has been linked with other clubs and Sunderland who we spoke about earlier are one of course mm. do you think it's a, like he, he's doing so well this season clubs as you said want to send a forward who's young who's they can get a return on if he does well like Brandon Thomas Asante when he went from Salford to West Brom for example yeah I definitely think he's capable of making that step to the championship for sure I mean obviously he was doing well enough at Swansea in the first place to obviously it was a few years ago but to be offered that pro deal and you, you don't know how that would have worked out but um I think it's definitely on on the cards in terms of his profile as well um I'm not saying that because a a player plays for a national team that has you know a massive audience that they can outgrow a league two club but obviously like the talk's always going to be there the attention's always going to be there that maybe you know 
makes that sort of move smoother or more likely to happen or something. Um, but the way he's playing, um, the tenacity that he kind of plays with, um, it's really, yeah, really encouraging to see. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is that talk in January. And, um, you know, the reality of it is, bar maybe the likes of um, Wrexham, Stockport, maybe Notts, um a League Two club is probably going to have to accept like a decent a decent offer. Mm-hmm. So um, it depends again whether Wimbledon feel they want to sort of hang on to him in the hopes that it's enough to get them in the playoffs, or whether they think right we'll cash in and just see who's ready to to take that step up. Um, yeah. But it's been really encouraging. And without naming names of any any outlets i think it's quite interesting i always love re- reading transfer reports where somebody links a player to the championship and they name at least 15 championship clubs oh that's wonderful you've just he's linked to everyone that's that's uh, it's wonderful but anyway the last topic before i let you go nancy is Akron stanley because their owners uh andy holt has been in the media quite a lot and on twitter mm. it's quite it's been quite a fascinating uh couple of few weeks for andy holt and for Akron and stanley fans he came out and said that I think it was when someone was asked or John Coleman I think did the interview and he said that they haven't been offered new deals him and Jimmy Bell the assistant coach and Andy Holt basically said they're not well, I'm not offering them new deals because I'm leaving or something along the lines of you know they, they just did that to put pressure on me and they don't deserve one because they got relegated it was, you know I'm kind of paraphrasing mm-hmm. his quotes then he did an interview with Talk Sport because he bumped up the prices for the Wrexham game a couple of weeks ago to from £20 to £25. Wrexham then retaliated and said, we're actually going to put the prices down £5 for the next game in March. He also but he said himself he's going to sell the club. Has there been... I mean, I, I just... What was, I, I know I threw a lot of information at you there, but what do you, what do you make <laughs> of the whole situation, especially, especially the, the situation with John Coleman, who's still in charge, and Andy Holden, mm. who's still the owner? Um, first of all, I think I think his heart's in the right place and I think on the whole he's good fun like um you know it might be highly frustrating if you're an Aki fan and you're seeing um you're seeing your owner kind of mouth off on Twitter too regularly but like on the whole he's had some really interesting things to say and he's kind of lifted the curtain on a lot of what football ownership is there's a lot of stuff that still goes on that we yeah. don't know about or, or whatever. Um, obviously, like the latest stuff is a bit tricky. Um, it seems to have been quite quiet in terms of like if a takeover is happening. I've not seen loads of coverage suggesting that something's going to happen. Mm. Um, but that's sometimes not a bad thing. It can mean something's happening in the background and it's kind of, you know, a realistic um, takeover. Um, I don't know whether he'll actually see it through. A, a lot of owners that are kind of on Twitter sometimes can say too much and then actually not really mean it or or any of those things. But um, it is interesting to see kind of what what will happen with John Coleman because he's been a great servant to the club and and I think they have had a very good working relationship. So um, it's not unusual for for owners to kind of assess things either on a year by year basis or to stall things if they don't think they're going to hang around and then quickly change their minds when they realize they maybe don't want to give it up. Um, But it's a really community minded club. It's a great asset to the area. And I know that that's like massive part of what Andy Holt's all about. Um, So I quite enjoyed the little Wrexham spat. 
uh, I actually I enjoyed, thought a, he was I enjoyed a spot with Simon Jordan, his spot with Simon Jordan as well, which is always fun yeah. to watch. But, I mean, I thought he was within his rights to, yeah. this is probably an unpopular opinion, but within his rights to put the price up, um, especially when, you know, they don't get a cut of the iFollow revenue that Wrexham obviously yeah. um, will generate. Um, you know, that's that's part of part of football. There are bigger teams that cash in on a bigger fan base. And then sometimes mm. the little teams get to exploit that a bit to kind of, you know, keep their keep their floodlights running or <laughs> any of those things. So yeah, I look I'd I'd like to see them kind of <laughs> settle down a little bit and and everything get a bit calmer again. But um yeah, I haven't heard anything to suggest that like they're imminently about to be take over, taken yeah. over. But I think maybe I mentioned it last time I was on, but every club's always for sale. It just, you know, if a, if an owner comes out and says, I'm for sale, it just means, you know, I'm really ready to listen yeah, to yeah, offers. Yeah. As opposed I'm to, really for sale. You've got to give me the right number. It's more yeah. like, you know, let's have a conversation. So. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I think you're right as well. I think he is kind of winning his right. And I know it's, again, as you said, an unpopular opinion because like, but, but Wrexham have such a massive financial backing that, they can put the price down a couple of quid, respectfully. But anyway, I, 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 that's by the by, and I, I might get an angry message from Wrexham fans. That's fine. Nancy, <laughs> I know you have to go. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And thank you so much for your incredible insight. Now, oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on again. To everyone listening at home, make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoy the podcast. And if you found Nancy as insightful as I have, it means the world to us. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates are around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And do you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.